Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, June 16th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, there seems to be a growing divergence between mainstream and market expectations and economic reality out there. And I think this is primarily due to the fact that the mainstream is operating off of a flawed Keynesian economic model. You know, it's kind of like algebra. You can do all of the arithmetic right, but if you have the formula wrong, you know, if you have the X in the wrong place, you're going to get the wrong answer. One of the biggest problems with mainstream analysis is that there is this assumption that you can't have price inflation, and a major economic downturn at the same time. It's based on this thing called the Phillips curve. And basically, the theory is that there is a steady and inverse relationship between unemployment and price inflation. If there is strong economic growth, there will be more people working and higher inflation. Conversely, if economic growth slows down, then unemployment will increase and price inflation will fall. And this has to be true because they have a graph. This is exactly why everybody is so fixated on every jobs report that comes out, right? If there are still a lot of jobs being created, then based on the Phillips curve, that must mean that there is going to be more price inflation because the economy is still going strong. And that means that the Fed is going to have to keep hiking rates. Now, if we start seeing unemployment tick up, well, then that means inflation is necessarily going down. We're going to have an economic downturn, and then that means the Fed is going to start easing or pause rate hikes. Now, Honestly, I'm not sure why the Phillips curve is still so prominent. The theory was blown apart by stagflation in the 1970s. The Phillips curve cannot explain the 70s. But you know, nothing dies more slowly than a bad idea that is politically expedient, especially if there's a graph. Here's the other thing. Nobody understands inflation, and I've talked about this before on the show. I really think that most people believe inflation just happens because reasons. It's like, oh, we have a strong economy and robust employment, so poof, price inflation just appears. Or they think it comes from things like greedy corporations or pandemics or Putin or voodoo. They don't understand that central banks and governments make inflation by creating money out of thin air and incentivizing a lot of borrowing. Rising prices, price inflation, is a symptom of this monetary expansion. Now, when I say people don't understand, I'm talking about your average layperson out there, you know, your pundits, and and uh, I think a lot of people that are out there in the markets who never really went beyond economics and finance 101. The policymakers, I think they know. They understand that money creation is the root cause of price inflation. At least the economists know this. I mean, this is economics 101. But they can't say it out loud because they need inflation. See, you have to have inflation to keep increasing government spending without raising taxes. And since our entire governmental system is built on borrowing and spending – 
the whole political process is built on borrowing and spending. They need the inflation tax, so they can't really let the cat out of the bag that uh, you know all of this money creation is why your groceries cost so much. So they promote these other theories, and they talk about these other theories, and then behind closed doors, I'm sure they're worrying uh, about uh, the amount of inflation they've created, and they've got their fingers crossed, and they're doing whatever voodoo they do uh, in, in the hopes that it will not turn out as bad um, as it could. And, and, you know, they kind of got away with it after the 2008 financial crisis. They, uh, you know, dumped trillions of dollars into the economy. And, and for various reasons, we didn't get consumer price inflation, um, as many predicted. Now, we did get inflation in the stock market and uh, in other asset. We got asset bubbles and, and other malinvestments. But um, because of some things that were going on in the financial system, a lot of that money that was created after the 08 financial crisis didn't work its way into the broader economy. So we didn't see rampant price inflation. But of course, after the pandemic, um, and you know, we had another round of massive money printing, and a lot of that did end up in the general economy because the government showered up. Uh, showered it on us with uh, stimulus. So, you know, they couldn't get away with it forever. Um, but, you know, and, and that said, I think a lot of people in Congress don't know either. Um, you know, I, I think there are some people in Congress who get it, but I don't think a lot of those people know. Heck, I, I'm not sure some of those people are smart enough to escape from a paper bag. Um, so they don't really know what's going on. They're just buying what they're being told. Regardless, you have the mainstream operating within this flawed economic framework. And that yields unrealistic expectations and a divergence from the economic realities. Uh, And that divergence is getting wider all the time because the underlying economic fundamentals are getting worse and worse. So, what are these mainstream expectations? Well, most people seem to think, deep in their heart of hearts, that the interest rate tightening cycle is about over. This is kind of the default position everybody's taken at this point. Now, when the Fed people talk tough like they did yesterday, everybody gets spooked. You know, they start selling stocks, they start selling gold and silver, we see the dollar get stronger. But then after the freakout, they kind of settle back into the notion that the tightening is almost finished and they're going to get their easy money back drug back. That's the hope, right? That's what's really driving. When you see the stock market going up and up and up, it's all based on the fact that they think they're going to get the easy money stimulus again. And I think that this is rooted in the fact that pretty much everybody knows a recession is coming, right? I mean, the World Bank recently projected global growth is about to slow to 2008 financial crisis levels. But nobody seems to think that the recession is going to be that bad. Short and shallow are the words you will often hear used. And because of Phillips' curve, this downturn will finish off inflation, so the thinking goes. And then the Fed can cut rates, and we can go back to the good old days of the 2010s when inflation was low, and so were interest rates. Now, they're right about some of this. Yes, a recession is coming. Yes, the Fed is going to cut rates. But here's where they're wrong. The recession isn't going to be short and shallow, and it isn't going to finish off price inflation. See, they would understand this if they recognized the fact that price inflation is the result of trillions and trillions of dollars injected into the economy since 2008. 
A few months of 5% interest rates didn't make that go away. What little balance balance sheet reduction that the Fed has done didn't suck even a tiny sliver of that liquidity out of the economy. And the moment the recession hits and the Fed starts cutting rates and eventually going back to quantitative easing, which I think is also in the cards, well, they're literally creating inflation again at that point. So inflation isn't going away. That means price inflation isn't going going away. It's going to come back with a vengeance because the Fed is creating it. And and again, those who really understand this, the people at the Fed, I think they're sweating bullets. They're hoping that they can kind of thread a needle here and, uh, you know, get inflation low enough before the recession really hits so that they can do some more quantitative easing and everything will kind of balance out and and be okay-ish. They're really just throwing crap against the wall and and hoping something sticks and, and rescues their butt. But when you boil this all down, the scenario that we're talking about here is stagflation. Now, that was a really long way to set up today's discussion about the two major things that drove the markets this week. First, we got the CPI report, which virtually everybody in the mainstream misread because they can't go more than two sentences past the headline. And then we had the Fed meeting. So as we go through this, keep in mind what I said about this divergence between mainstream perception and economic reality. If you understand what the mainstream is thinking, you'll understand why the markets are reacting the way they're reacting. And if you understand the economic reality, then you'll get why what they're thinking is wrong. And eventually, they're going to realize it because it's going to smack them in the face. So let's start with the CPI. The headline was that the annual increase in May was the smallest in two years at 4%. The month-on-month increase in the CPI was 0.1%. So that's a pretty cool number. And by cool, I mean like physically cool, not like cool, this is great. Um, I mean, I guess it is great if you think that inflation is actually going down. Now, I mean, It certainly was a big improvement on the 1% month-on-month increase and the 8.3% annual increase in CPI that we saw back in May 2022. But price inflation still remains twice the Federal Reserve's 2% target. That's an important thing to remember here. And here's the, the thing. You get no sense of reality just by looking at these headline numbers. you got to dig deeper. And you don't have to dig that much deeper. Just look at the core CPI. Core CPI, which excludes food and energy prices because they're supposedly more volatile, it rose 0.4% month-on-month. So that's a pretty healthy month-on-month increase in the core CPI. And on an annual basis, core CPI rose by 5.3%. So core CPI is now actually running hotter than the annual CPI number, something that we weren't seeing when uh, the inflation was considered to be at its peak. To put this number into perspective, the core CPI increase in May 2022, so one year ago, was 6%. So we've only gone from 6% to 5.3%. That means the increase in core CPI really has barely budged, not even one percentage point, even though the whole CPI has actually halved. Now, looking at the monthly increases so far in 2023, and again, we're talking about core, um, this just proves that this price inflation at the core level is very, very sticky. It rose by 0.4% in January, 
0.5% in February, 0.4% in March, April, and yet again in May. So that averages to a 0.42% per month um, annual, or not annual, it averages to 0.42% per month for this year, and that would uh, come to a 5.4% annual increase in the um, the um, core CPI. So, if you go by the core CPI, then you must conclude that inflation really hasn't budged. So, completely opposite of the headlines that you read, right? Now, I remember not too long ago, everybody told me, I need to look at the core data because it's more accurate. It gives us a better sense of the actual trajectory of price inflation because it's less volatile. Well, okay then, I'm looking at it. Uh... Oh, and before I forget, I need to do my obligatory CPI discussion disclaimer. Price inflation is worse than the government data suggests. The CPI uses a formula that understates the actual rise in prices. Based on the formula used in the 1970s, CPI is closer to double the official numbers. Okay, I say that every time I talk about the CPI, but it's important to remember that. So now that we've got that out of the way, let's take a uh, look at some more granular data. And you'll find that it reveals even more reason to temper your optimism that inflation is actually cooling down. Price inflation, I should say. First, the drop in annual CPI this month was partly a function of math. A huge 1% month-on-month increase from a year ago dropped out of the calculation. So think about how you're calculating the annual CPI. You're basically adding up each monthly increase for the last 12 months to get that uh, that annual number. So in this last calculation, a big 1% increase dropped out of the calculation, no longer added in. As my friend Tony explained last month in an Exploring Finance article that was published over at shiftgold.com slash news, I'll link to it in the show notes, um, he wrote this after the release of April's CPI data. He said, math is about to turn on the CPI calculation. This is what he wrote. He said, the CPI last April was 0.4%, which means the drop is due to a bigger number coming off the board. He means the drop in uh, April CPI. He said this will likely play into the May and June CPI, especially as a 9.2% and a 1.21% fall off the year-on-year calculations. So we had these big increases in May and June of 2022. Those numbers are going to fall out of the annual calculation. And he said this will greatly help the CPI year-on-year come down further over the next several months. So that's exactly what we saw this month. We saw that, that number drop out of the calculation and the overall number fell. So big numbers dropping out of the calculation creates the illusion that price inflation is cooling more than it actually is. Second, a big drop in energy prices papered over increasing prices in a lot of other categories. Overall, energy costs were down a whopping 3.6% from April to May. On an annual basis, energy prices have dropped 11.7%. Gasoline prices are down over 20% from this time last year. In fact, there were only two categories outside of these energy categories that charted price decreases over the last month, and that was, uh, I think, uh, new vehicles and uh, medical services. 
Now, we did see a little bit of uh, moderation in food prices, but they still continue to increase increase every month. And notably, commodity prices charted a 0.6% month-on-month increase. So these are basically raw materials, meaning these rising prices may well ooze into other categories in the month ahead. So the bottom line here is the uh, is that price inflation isn't dead. Now, granted, it has certainly moderated from its peak a year ago if you only consider the headline numbers. But if you factor in core, as you've already seen, price inflation hasn't really moderated at all. It's rising at almost the exact same pace as it was a year ago, if you look at the core inflation. And there's nothing in any of this data to indicate that the increase in CPI is going to fall to 2% in the near future. But I guess good news for the central bankers, it was enough to give the Federal Reserve the cover it needed to pause rate hikes. And that's exactly what it did at the June FOMC meeting. Now, it was the most hawkish pause in rate hikes you could ever imagine. The FOMC emphatically told us to expect more rate hikes this year. So in other words, while the Fed put hikes on pause after 10 straight interest rate increases, there wasn't really any hint that the Fed intends for this hiking cycle to end here. Regardless, the vote to leave rates uh, at the 5 to 5.25% range was unanimous. Now, interestingly, even though this was a much different policy move, than we saw last month, right? We got a hike last month. This month, we got nothing. The official FOMC statement was virtually identical to May's. As it did in the May statement, the FOMC once again emphasized that it will be data-dependent moving forward. There's a big paragraph in the official statement that makes this point, but it's a Fed gobbledygook and not really worth reading. But it is worth repeating what Powell said during his presser. He said, nearly all committee participants expect that it will be appropriate to raise interest rates somewhat further by the end of the year. But at this meeting, considering how far and how fast we've moved, we judged it prudent to hold the target range steady. The committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial development. So that last part was basically the gobbledygook that was in the uh, FOMC statement. You know, I call that Fed speak. But, um, you know, Powell's clearly trying to signal that this is not the end of rate hikes. They really don't want you to think that this is the end. It's just a pause or a skip, if you will. So, in case you haven't figured this out, the words data-dependent, that's a cute way for the central bankers to make you think they have a plan when they really don't. It works really well for them because no matter what they do next month, they can claim, well, the data led us to this decision. I mean, they could literally cut rates to zero in July and still be within the framework that's laid out in this statement, right? This lets them be super hawks today and then they can release the doves tomorrow without losing any credibility. I mean, at least in the eyes of people who actually find them credible, which I am not among those people. You're probably not either, but a lot of people do. And they'll say, well, that's what the data said. So the uh, FOMC, FOMC statement also once again asserted that the committee is strongly committed to returning inflation to its 2% objective. They say this every month. Well, you know what? 
I'm strongly committed to playing in the NHL next year. And you know what that means in real life? Not a damn thing. You see, the Fed has a big problem. Just like I have a big problem when it comes to playing in the NHL. Uh, actually, more than one problem. You know, uh, my age, uh, my lack of uh, that much skill. Um, the Fed has problems here. Regardless of its commitment, it's a long way from achieving that 2% goal. Even with the headline CPI number cooling significantly to 4% in May, it remains more than double that elusive target. And as I've already talked about, when you consider core inflation, the situation is even worse. So, the FOMC statement didn't really yield a lot of new information. But the FOMC also released a new dot plot that projects two more rate hikes before the end of the year. And that was really the thing that grabbed everybody's attention, sent stocks plunging, sent gold and silver plunging. Uh, it was this dot plot. And basically, it's a, a graphical thing that they do, and it kind of shows how they expect monetary policy to proceed in the coming months. Four committee members projected one more rate hike in 2023, nine of the committee members indicated that they expect two, so that was the vast majority. Two members actually projected a third hike, and the most hawkish member forecast four more rate increases uh, in this cycle. Two dovish members of the committee actually signaled that they don't think there'll be any more hikes this year. So, during the post-meeting press conference, Powell doubled down on this hawkishness, saying he doesn't see rate cuts in the near future, and perhaps not for years. Now, think about this. Everybody in the mainstream is, is waiting with bated breath for the rate cuts that they're certain are coming. I think they're right because the economy is going to collapse, but that's neither here nor there at this point. Here we've got Powell saying, not for years. He said, it will be appropriate to cut rates at such time as inflation is coming down really significantly. And again, we're talking about a couple of years out. As anyone can see, not a single person on the committee wrote down a rate cut this year. Nor do I think it is at all likely to be appropriate. So, the real question, where do we go from here? The Fed is clearly trying to project this hawkish tone, right? But I said this last time we had a Fed meeting, talk is cheap. And with price inflation still hot, despite mainstream reporting to the contrary, the Fed can't plausibly declare victory today, right? They ain't at 2%. We're still at 4%, so they can't declare victory. But think about this for a second. If the Fed was really that hawkish, if they were as hawkish as everybody says, as Powell made it sound, why skip a rate hike? Now, here's how I see it. The Fed is between a rock and a hard place, and I think they know it. They realize the economy cannot function much longer in this high interest rate environment. Now, your average pundit on CNBC, they don't have a clue. Your average person doesn't have a clue. I don't think most investors have a clue. They don't understand that easy money is the lifeblood of this, this weird economy that the central bankers have created. The central bankers know it, though. They have to know it. 
to what extent, you know, maybe they're somewhat in denial. Maybe they're so wrapped up in their own uh, hubris and their own economic worldview that they don't quite see it. But they've, they've got to have some sense that these rate hikes are unsustainable uh, given the need for debt and leverage in the economy. And, you know, I think they also feel obligated to keep the inflation fight going um, because they really can't plausibly pivot now with CPI still running hot, right? So they've got to keep at least the perception that they're going to fight going. So how did the central bankers actually justify this pause then? Well, they're claiming that they need to pause and let the previous rate cuts take full effect. That quote that I read by Powell when he talked about the lag effects, that really kind of gets to it. Powell also said uh, in his press conference, we've covered a lot of ground and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. Now, in one sense, he's absolutely right. You know, it was a, uh, it was many months after the last rate hike before the financial crisis in 2008 reared its ugly head. So yeah, we're eventually going to feel the impact of these rate hikes, but it's not likely going to be in the form of lower price inflation. It's going to come in the form of another financial crisis or some kind of major economic crash. You know, interest rates are already at the highest level since June 2006. And when they got to that point in June 2006, the Fed held them there until Bernanke cut rates in September 2007, when home sales started to collapse. So they kept those interest rates high for over a year. Then home sales started to collapse. The impact of those rate hikes started to be felt. So to put it in other words, rate hikes are at levels now that set off the 2008 financial crisis and the Great Recession. Now, again, there was some lag then. There'll probably be some lag now. I have no idea how much. But the difference is today, we have even more debt. We have more malinvestments in the economy. We have bigger bubbles. And this is one of those big divergences between perception and reality that I see. Everybody thinks this downturn is going to be mild. Why? Why does anybody think it's going to be different this time around? Because their framework says so, I guess. I don't know. You know, I've said this before. A boom or a bust is commiserate with the boom. And we've had this huge boom that the Fed created. The bust is going to be significant, worse than 2008. You know, I guess when you boil it all down, it's really just a lot of wishful thinking. The reality is the Fed has screwed up everything that is a function of interest rates in the economy. And that's pretty much everything because interest rates are the price of money, right? So when you start messing with the price of money, you're messing with everything. Rate hikes have already precipitated a financial crisis, and despite the Fed's insistence that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient, we've already writ witnessed three major bank failures. And today, believe it or not, or yesterday, uh, Powell was talking about the fact that uh, exposure to commercial real estate could risk problems in a lot of other banks. Now, the bank bailout papered over those problems, and it plugged that hole in the dam, but it's only a matter of time before something else breaks. That commercial real estate, that's a good candidate, but it could be something else. The bottom line is cuts are coming. No matter how tough Powell talks today or what the rest of his crew put on a dot plot, ultimately, the Fed is going to reverse course. 
and it's going to cut rates in order to keep banks from failing or to stop the auto industry from imploding or to save the housing market or to prop up the government or bail out over leveraged corporations or uh, you know fix the commercial real estate market or reinflate whatever bubble pops next in this bubble economy. So, you know, if things hold together until July, and they might, you know, again, there was a pretty long lag in in 2008, or, you know, before the 2008 financial crisis. So, you know, again, we might see another rate hike. But the longer this plays out, the closer we get to rate cuts instead of rate hikes. And as I've already explained, that will not turn out the way the mainstream thinks based on their warped economic model. It's going to result in even more price inflation when they start creating inflation. Now, interestingly, if you kind of look at the markets um, and how they responded to all of this, we had a big sell-off on uh, on Wednesday after the Fed um, released its statement and Powell did his uh, little talking tour. But on Thursday, it actually rallied back above 1950 an ounce. I think it closed around 1958. Uh, that 1950 level seems to be pretty solid support for gold right now. Um, I kind of honestly thought when I saw just how hawkish this was and I saw the dot plot, I thought, you know, that that may uh, cause gold to fall through that support level. And, and maybe it will uh, as, as we move through the next few days. But right now, it seems to be holding. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I don't really expect gold to break out until this divergence between mainstream expert, uh, mainstream expectations and economic reality is fully exposed. And it will be at some point people are going to wake up and they're going to see reality staring them in the face and everything is going to change in that moment when people really start to get it, when they realize that, no, the recession's not going to be mild, when they realize, no, the banking system isn't stable, when they realize, no, the problems aren't contained, when they realize, no, inflation isn't defeated, that's when the whole mentality, the whole psychology of the markets is going to flip. And that's when I think you'll really start to see a breakout in the price of gold. So this right now is still, in my opinion, a good buying opportunity, and it may be an even better opportunity to buy silver. Uh, I wrote an article this week that you should check out uh, over at shiftgold.com slash news. Again, I'll link it in the show notes page. Um, It explains how silver is way underpriced given the looming supply shortage. So if you are interested in exploring precious metals, Maybe adding it to your investment portfolio for the first time. Or maybe you feel like it's time to up your allocations. Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metals specialist today. Call 1-888-GOLD-160. Email them, info at shiftgold.com. Or you can just go to shiftgold.com. If you go to the Getting Started page, you can chat with one of those folks right there online. I say this every week. These guys are fantastic, and they're going to listen to you. They're going to help you figure out how precious metals might fit into your portfolio. So don't wait. Do it today. So that is a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more 
and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, the YouTube channel, and more. You'll find links to all of these things on the show notes page along with links to our social media channels. You can email me at mmahary, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love hearing from folks. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.